Within printed page rests fates unseen, doused in ink and laid between. Shadows lurk within your findings to other realms and beyond the binding. to another episode of Beyond the Bindings. I'm Max Lopez, and this week we are going to cover The Ocean at the End of the Lane, which is a novel by Neil Gaiman. I've been on a big Neil Gaiman kick. I'm going to cover not a series of books, but just a series of episodes in which I'm going to continue to cover Neil Gaiman books over the next couple of weeks leading up to going to see him at the Auditorium Theater here in Chicago. Now, The Ocean at the End of the Lane uh, was published in 2013. It was preceded by The Silver Dream, which was also published in 2013, and it was preceded by Eternity's Gate, which was published published in 2015. Now, this these two books are actually a part of a series called the Interworld series, uh, or at least it's just called Interworld. I don't know. I think there, I believe there's three of them out. And it's co-written with an author whose name I forget. Something Reeves, I think. And I believe there's three of them right now. The Silver Dream and Eternity's Gate, obviously, being two of them. I don't know this third one's name off the top of my head. But always interested in co-written books. So I'm going to have to check those out sometime uh, during this year. Probably we'll take a break from Gaiman before I get around to those particular that particular series, especially since there's three of them. But if I cover them, I'll probably cover them in a row, which would be kind of cool. Uh, there's a few series that I didn't continue that I would like to get back to. Broken Earth uh, by N.K. Jemisin. I only read the first one. And one other one. I forget which that one was. I read it earlier this year. But I would love to read these, especially because I'm, basi- I'm pretty much... Good to read anything Neil Gaiman. Uh, not pretty much. I absolutely am a game to read anything Neil Gaiman. So uh, I'm going to continue. I'll go over kind of what I plan on doing for the rest of this time. The show that I'm going to see him at is on May 13th. And this is coming out the first week of May. So I guess there's probably only going to be... Yeah, this episode, this should be like the first Tuesday of May. So yeah. The Ocean at the End of the Lane is... A, I mean, it's a... I'm such a fanboy of Neil Gaiman's writing just in general. I'm just mesmerized by his writing. It is very captivating for me. Uh, Like, very, like, hard-to-put-down kind of nature. And I think that that's... A lot of it has to do with him just being able to... What I talked about in the Stardust episode, like, take a story that has fantasy elements or is completely fantasy and put it in this little nice little box that's much shorter than what you get out of the genre a lot of the time and i think he continues that in the ocean at the end of the lane now this isn't a reread for me i've i have not read this book i thought i read this book i did not i might have started it at some point not sure why i would have bailed um i do i did really enjoy it this time around but i i was thinking in the last episode i think i had mentioned that i thought it was realistic fiction and it's not. Um, if Maybe if I would have only read the first like chapter or so, maybe I would have thought that. But 
it certainly is uh, is 100% fantasy, which obviously you know I'm a big fan of, so I was uh, I was very happy for its inclusion within a shorter novel. Now, my copy of this that I rented from the library is like 181 pages, so that's got to be like right on the brink of, or like right on the, the line of what becomes a novel over a novella, right? Because I've seen authors call books novellas that were like 150 pages so does it is it really separated by that small of an amount i always thought a novella would be like 100 pages 150 pages that's like the size of like a uh, like a maybe not young adult but like even like uh like a rolled doll type book like uh like a children's chapter book of some sort, usually around 100 to 150 pages, depending on the print and depending on how many or how little pictures there are within the story. Sometimes there are quite a few, especially now in, in more modern children's chapter books and Roald Dahl books, obviously, have quite a few pictures as well. I love Roald Dahl. Just a quick little promotion of Roald Dahl. Those books are, they're still so much fun to read. I have to one of my favorite authors to read to a group of students at school. It's always fun to read Roald Dahl. Now, The Ocean at the End of the Lane, very interesting because the story is narrated by the main character, and this protagonist is unnamed throughout the entire story, and you kind of lose, like, you kind of forget that throughout. Like, I've read books where the, where the, main character is unnamed and it's something that I'm always kind of thinking about like especially when he's being he or she is being addressed by other characters um or like you know constantly communicate in communication with other characters and it's interesting when they're not named and a lot of the times I've noticed that I find myself thinking about that a lot but I did not during this book it just I think it's a part of the way that Neil Gaiman just captivates me and just fully sucks me into his writing as I stop thinking about that kind of sideline stuff that doesn't really matter. And it's not necessarily essential in this story as well, especially digging into some of the main themes and realizing how unimportant a character's name can be. Like you don't necessarily need it. Um, especially when you're not digging into like full on historical background of someone's family or anything like that. It's, it's actually insignificant and it, it makes sense why somebody might choose to leave it out in order to shine a brighter light on other aspects of the story. So, and I, I know it's small, it's not like naming a character is getting in the way of any comprehension or getting in the way of any ability to use any fantasy or magical aspects within your writing but it is an interesting choice and I think it's something that all obsessive readers like myself will always kind of take note of when the protagonist is not named or really yeah I mean you never really see it where other characters aren't named that would kind of get confusing but when the narrator themselves I guess they're never going to refer to themselves as they're you know in the third person so it makes sense that they would uh that they would refer to themselves with whatever pronoun they're choosing to use. Now, it all revolves around this protagonist, who's unnamed, visiting his childhood home and town, or like kind of village in England for the first time, and since he was what seems like a teenager or even younger. He's seven in the story, but so he's visiting it at, in it 
visiting this town and his home in, in like his 40s. And you very quickly realize he's there for a funeral. And then right away it flashes back to his childhood. And that's kind of where this whole story took place is within him telling the story about his childhood and the situation that went on at his home when he was living in this house. And it seemed like um, after the end of the events of his childhood part of this story that the, his family moved out and they moved on from this home that was torn down, torn down and actually turned into like, you know, more cookie cutter style homes. Seems to take place in the early 90s. They mentioned watching the movie Mission Impossible. So uh, I would assume that he is probably, this is probably like, I don't know, maybe 1996 or something like that when he's a kid, which means he's probably around, supposed to be around my age. So I assume, I guess the, the older version of the protagonist is actually in technically the future. I would, if I'm 30 and he's like 47, I would and he seems like he's within my age so yeah this this has to take place I guess in like 2030 or 2000 the 2030s which is weird to think about uh, not thinking about the future in books is not weird with sci-fi and stuff but thinking about the future that is you know not all that far away from us is kind of interesting now quickly flashes back to this childhood and these childhood memories he has in this home and he's been beginning to describe that his parents needed to be able to make a little extra money. So they made him move in with his sister in her room and they started renting out his, his room to people who needed it to stay in, um, for small, for not like, you know, not like a hotel type service or, uh, uh, what do they call those? A bed and breakfast type service, but more like, uh, a uh, just like as they work in this town they could come and stay at their house for a couple weeks or so and at one point they have this opal miner stay in he's kind of weird and he treats this protagonist in kind of a strange way and one morning they wake up and their car is gone and him and his dad follow these tracks down the road and actually found that this guy committed suicide in the car Later that night, the main character goes to sleep and has this terrible dream where he is like choking on a coin and he wakes up and he pukes out a coin onto his bed. And so that's, this is where our kind of fantasy elements start playing a role. And he ends up taking the coin and he's got like this really horrible feeling in his throat and he, he takes it down to these people down the road and their names, they own this farm and the family name is Hempstock, and he meets this girl who's about 11 years old, so about four years older than him, and her name's Letty Hempstock. And this is where we start to breach the gap of where we're like moving from something that seemed like, okay, this is just this kind of melancholy story of this kid's childhood into something magical happened to him, whether it was good or bad. And Letty they they kind of discover that he's being in a way haunted by this opal miners um i don't know if you want to say even a ghost because it's happening in the dream but clearly what happened in the dream crossed over into the waking world and that he had a problem and he needed to get this problem solved and he kind of adopts letty hemstock to help him solve this problem and you find out that she has a relationship with this um, 
fantasy magical realm and they actually cross over into it in hopes that they can solve this problem of i guess he presumes that he's like being haunted by this man well that really kind of opens up a lot a lot more problems that continue through the rest of the book and it's really interesting and it kind of uh it kind of I guess uh, really kind of flirts with this whole concept of of family relationships and what types of um, situations can kind of interrupt a functioning family situation or really any living situation um, as he actually carries something back from this fantasy world. And it was really cool. I I thought that uh, it got pretty dark at times, uh, but not like... Not as dark as I've seen Neil Gaiman get, um, but it was almost kind of, it was very melancholy throughout. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't a very happy story, but it also wasn't super down and it was, it was mildly uplifting at points, but going into the finale of the story and when we finally get back to him and the, the modern time and the adult version of the protagonist, it is kind of melancholy. It is kind of a little downtrodden and, and and it's not necessarily scary at any points but like i could see this being portrayed or um people thinking you know that this is mildly frightening there are some points in it that get pretty intense and i think it could actually be pretty cool uh seen in film which would be really really awesome so a lot of it kind of revolves around this family the hempstocks that have this relationship with this other world and you don't get a lot of it, which I like. I feel like Gaiman purposely creates them to be very elusive. And there's three of them. There's Letty, who's the daughter. There's her mom, who I believe her name is Ginny. And then their grand, um, Letty's grandmother, who is like the most connected to this kind of magical world. And Gaiman is almost like purposely not giving you a ton of it. I, I think. Um, I, I think personally it's either because he has plans to include these people in more of his writing, which I personally would like to see, or he leaves it open for you to have that interpretation as a reader, which I also like that a lot because I've already started kind of developing some of that in my head as far as like, these people are very much connected to like that concept that I was talking about in the Stardust episode of these bridges or gateways or doorways or whatever you want to call them into other worlds and in this story it's almost as if these people are the gateway that this family the hempstocks are this portal into this other world that exists and and it's almost like that's still kind of that same concept from american gods or uh, far, sorry from stardust and also used in american gods where like these are like layers of reality where it's like if you kind of like look at if if you can draw in front of your face a line in front of you, you know, just with your fingers, imagine there's a line there and then draw 25 of those lines or imagine 25 of those lines and then smush all those lines together and each line was a different reality or a different realm and they're all stacked on top of each other and they're all so thin that you can't even tell that there's a difference between them but there's like a veil that separates every single one of them. And I feel like that's something that Gaiman is, is really trying to get to with these types of stories where like 
we're in our physical world that you and I know, but there's some way to cross over into something else, whether it's that gateway they have in Stardust in the Village of Wall, whether from American Gods, the carousel that they take into like the, the gods kind of meeting realm, it, it or even like in the Stephen King's Dark Tower series where there's the, the doorways that lead them through. And even in the Wheel of Time, I believe there's something they call the pathways. I can't remember. I haven't read the real Wheel of Time in a really long in a really long time. And uh, I love this. I love this idea because I, I love to kind of pre- like think about obviously I brought it up in the last episode, but um, think about you know, what is the, what, you know, what goes beyond this world for us? If there is another world, like, is that, or is there, if there is like another, like an afterlife, for instance, like that would be one of these realms and death would kind of be the gateway into that, which is a pretty interesting concept. And, uh, something that like me, it does intrigue me to continue to real read Neil Gaiman's work as he continues to, um, write more, I'm actually up to date. I'm not up to. I haven't read all of his books, but I'm up to date with them. I've read the most recent one, which was Norse mythology, which I covered at the beginning of the year. And even with Norse mythology, they have the Bifrost, which is like directly a rainbow bridge that is one of these, this this concept, one of these gateways to another world, bringing you from our physical world here on Earth to their world there. Um, what, uh, what, um, not Midgard, Midgard is our world, I can't remember it off the top of my head, darn it, uh, where the Norse gods live, shoot, I can't remember it off the top of my head, oh, maybe it'll come to me, so, he does an amazing job at squeezing in a lot of story, uh, into not a lot of pages, which is, makes these books really approachable, and something that, like, I can say, like, hey, you should really read this book, and somebody might actually read it, and they might actually finish it, because it is, it is pretty easy to uh, to wrap your head around it. Now, as far as themes go, go, I would say like one of the biggest themes that I picked up, and I think this was a really personal thing, is childhood forgotten memories. And like that idea of there are so many like, it's funny to think about like the way that we remember something happening from, from our childhood and the way that, like, your parents tell that same thing happening. Like, sometimes we, like, create, like, this, like, really epic moment out of something that was just, like, you know, wow, you you scored two free throws and won your basketball team a, a game. Like, at the time, that probably seemed like the entire world. Like, you had just won a battle, but your parents are just like, yeah, you did a great job. You scored two, two free throws. It was, it was, it was quite well done. It's just interesting to look, to think about like how we make things seem so grand sometimes when we look at childhood memories. And he, I don't think that he's necessarily doing this. I think you can do it in the opposite direction where you make things, uh, can make things seem like, you know, a lot worse than maybe they were. And I know for some, obviously, that they, both of those situations where things were actually bad or things were actually really, really amazing. Both those situations are always going to happen. But I think that we kind of do look at our childhood memories almost with like a little bit of fog over them. And as you are reintroduced to the protagonist in this story at the end, you kind of get the idea that there was a little bit of fog surrounding his memory of his childhood. And uh, and, uh, connecting directly with that is 
this idea of carrying emotional baggage throughout your life because the events of this story seem to have really stuck with him in a way that he is almost entirely unclear of as the fog thickens around these memories. And I, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's something that is important for all of us to try and see within ourselves because you might not know or remember like where your emotional baggage came from or that you're carrying it or how long you've been carrying it. But it came from somewhere, and it, I find it important to try and find where it came from. Um, I, and that's a personal thing. But I do f see that being beneficial into your growth as, a, as an adult and your continued growth as a human as being able to say, like, these are the things that I carry with me that I, I don't love. And I want to know where those things came from. And I think that's important for somebody to seek out that truth within themselves. And I think that it's doable as long as a little bit of effort is put to it. And then obviously you, you have to want to do it as well. I really enjoyed this story. Um, I, I thought it was really deep. I thought that it... It, it was the kind of story that kind of kept me thinking the whole time. Not necessarily, it wasn't like, oh, what's going to happen next kind of thinking. It was more like deep metaphysical thinking about life and reality and concepts of death and concepts of emotional baggage and childhood memories and, and what we hold on to and what we choose not to hold on to. And I found that interesting. I think that is, uh, I thought it was really cool. Now, I talked about it in the last episode. There's a play adaptation of this. I thought that Gaiman wrote it because he had been promoting it so much. He didn't write it. It was adapted by uh, somebody who I assume writes plays. And uh, it looks really cool. He had been promoting it for a long time. I guess it came out in 2019, but must have been shut down for the pandemic. And then they came back in the last couple of months to continue it. And it is in London. I really hope that it comes to the U.S. because it would be super cool to see. And I guess the film rights have been bought by it as well. From what I saw, this was just from Wikipedia, so I don't know the validity of this, but the validity of this. But it said that Tom Hanks owns the... Uh, Tom Hanks and somebody else had brought, bought the rights to the film adaptation of it. And this book would be, like, super cool in a film because there is, like, some very uh, visual parts of this that could be really well done cinematically and i think it'd be really cool to see that in theaters so i loved it moving forward i wanted to get to this um i'm gonna do next week i'll do good omens which is a reread for me it's a reread of one of my favorite books by two of my favorite authors and uh i've just been just loving rereading that story i can't wait to talk about it and uh that will actually bring me to the end of before I go, like to, to where, like right before I go see him. I don't know. I kind of want to read this book called The Great, um, oh crap. I can't remember it off the top. It's not called The Graveyard Shift. That's a Stephen King book, I think. Um, the Graveyard Book. I might be wrong about that, but it's a young adult book. And I, I really don't read young adult books like ever because I, I teach third graders. So I either read chapter books for elementary school kids or like horror books and fantasy books. So it would be kind of cool to read uh, like a, a YA book by Neil Gaiman. So I, I might still come back and cover that one as well. It'll probably be a pretty quick read just in general. 
So, uh, as always, uh, go get a library card. If you don't, libraries are awesome places to go spend your time. And I am Max Lopez, and this is Beyond the Bindings. <laughs>